Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Do you remember meeting somebody that once you were introduced to them, they like changed your life? I'll never, never forget the very first people I met. My parents <laughs> changed my life. No, uh, I was uh, in high school, though, when I met my wife. And I've told the story before how we met in a geometry class, but a really crazy thing happened. We were talking a few years ago, I guess, uh, and we were tell- I was telling the story to my kids about how I was at a friend's house. I was jumping on a trampoline, being stupid, showing off, and trying to do a backflip. And I went and did a backflip well, kind of, landed on my face and like sprained my neck or something. And I was like, I was hurting. I was bad. I was laying on the ground. I was like, ah, I remember my kid, my friends went inside, got me medicine, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, but they did. And they brought me like some pills and I took them and I'm laying in this like lawn chair. I'm like, ah, oh. and I was telling the story to my, to my kids. And they were like, dad, you're so stupid. That was all. And my wife goes, wait, that was you. I'm like, what? She goes, I was at my friend Melanie's house that day. And I remember we'd gone next door to Jeff's house. Jeff lived next door to Melanie. That's whose house I was at. There was this kid being an idiot jumping on a trampoline and he almost broke his neck and he was laying on the thing hurting. And I was like, you were there? And we realized we were in like sixth grade and that's when we actually had first met. At least she saw me uh, almost die. Uh, And so, but what's crazy is now we've been married 15 years and knowing my wife has changed my life. If you've been married before, you understand like, wow, just kind of redirects the whole course. Have you ever met someone that once you knew them, it just changed your life? Fast forward several years after we got married and I'm standing in a hospital in Norfolk, Virginia, and they hand me my son Silas, he made me a dad. I remember standing there being like, I said this to him. I said, I don't know you, but I love you. And I'm going to do my best to be a good dad. And I said that his little purple screaming self. And, <laughs> and it changed my life. And, and, and a couple years later, his sister, not to be outdone, turned out to be a girl and not a boy. And that threw me for a loop because I grew up in a house full of, of, of boys. And I had a brother and it was all guys. And I remember when we found out we were having another one, I was like, please be a boy, please be a boy, please boy, boy. First of all, let me tell you, I was totally surprised when it was a girl when we found out it, uh, with the ultrasound. But I'm so glad that I have my daughter. It's completely changed who I am and, and, and as a dad. And Have you ever met someone that's completely changed your life? I'm sure you have. And it's not always for the good. We meet some people that totally ruin our lives. I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't met that person. I wish I hadn't gone that place. But whatever, we meet these people and they come and they infiltrate who we are and they kind of begin to shift our mind around and our actions around. I want to introduce you to somebody today that many of you have met. Many of you may have heard about, and some of you don't even realize that they're in your life right now, someone that we read about in the pages of the Bible, and it's somebody that as we've been going through this teaching series this summer has been the key motivator of the whole thing. Let me just kind of catch us up a little bit. We're right here in the middle of this summer teaching series called Walk the Walk, and we've been in the book of Galatians, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. It's a book of teaching written by the Apostle Paul to some churches in an area called Galatia, and he writes to them, and in this book, he gives them this kind of list of virtues that we should live by, and so I just just as a recap, let's look at it. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. Verse 22 is where we begin. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And it goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So that last phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, is where that walk the walk concept is coming from. And so we've spent the past month unpacking the first four of these virtues, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to continue unpacking the virtues starting next week. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to share next week, uh, Caleb Dardens. A lot of you know Caleb. Uh, he plays bass in the band a lot of times up here. He has long hair. Uh, he's going to be speaking next week, and he's going to be sharing the next virtue. At our church, we love to just invest in people and let them kind of take their natural giftedness and use it for the kingdom of God. And so several times a year, we'll have people come up. This will be Caleb's first time preaching, and so I want to encourage you all to be here and encourage him and support him in that. But I'm looking forward to him. He's a, he's a, he's a public school teacher. He's been doing that this year uh, and is looking forward to doing some more. He's already a good teacher. Um, but he's gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna pause the list though. Love, joy, peace, patience, we've done. He's gonna pick up next week. But right here in the middle of this list, we're gonna pause the list because there's someone I wanna introduce you to. His name is in this list. I don't know if you caught it. It's in there three times. And spoiler, it's not Jesus. Jesus is the name we talk about a lot in church, but let's look at three times. The, the three times we see it, the, the word is spirit. And we see the list is called the fruit of the spirit. It says later, we live by the spirit. And then at the end, it tells us we need to keep in step with who? The spirit. So we thought it would be fitting right in the middle of this teaching about the fruit of the spirit to go and talk about the source of this fruit, this stuff that's in our life. Who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, naturally, we would think, well, Christianity is a, is a faith, and so there's going to be spiritual stuff talked about. But it's more than that. It's more than just the spiritual nuance of Christianity. There is a force, I would say, a person behind what Christianity does in our lives. So this is our goal. We're answering kind of a two-part question. First is this, who is the Holy Spirit? And the second follow-up question is, how can we keep in step with him? Who is the Holy Spirit? How can we keep in step with him? If you want to take some notes this morning, we got some note cards there in the welcome packs in your cup holders. And I encourage you to write a few of these things down as we go through because it's something that I think once you're introduced to this concept, it will dramatically change your life. Uh, every week we look to the Bible for answers to life's most important questions. This week's going to be no different. This week we're going to be learning about who the Holy Spirit is from the greatest teacher to ever live. Jesus. And it's going to be found in the book of John chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn over to John 14, flip over or scroll down on your device. want to let you know uh, if you don't have a good readable version of the Bible, we've got free ones we give away. So they're out in the lobby. Feel free to grab them before you leave. Take it home with you. Read it. Here in John chapter 14, we're going to find Jesus in one of his very last teachings to his uh, closest followers, his disciples. And as he's teaching, he explains to them that there is this spirit it's going to come and work with them. Let's just read what he has to say. John chapter 14, um, all the way down to verse 15 is where we're going to start. We're just going to read a couple of verses of that and just get Jesus started. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. All right, let's stop there real fast. Uh, keeping God's commands is, is sometimes difficult, often problematic, because the things he wants us to do are not always the things that we want to do. Keep my commands. He says, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. Help you do what? Well, among other things, to help us keep his commands. That's what his role is. Another advocate to help you and will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He lives with you and he will be in you. 
So Jesus introduces us to someone, and he introduces us to this spirit. Now, you'll notice that in this passage, Jesus doesn't call him the Holy Spirit. If you've been in church long, you've heard that phrase. There's like God the Father, and there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Jesus doesn't name him the Holy Spirit right here. In fact, he will in a few verses in the book of John. But very often when we hear about the Spirit, he's just called the Spirit. Sometimes he's given kind of a qualifier. Here we get two. He's called the advocate. I will send to you an advocate who will help you. And he's also called uh, the spirit of truth. He's called the spirit of God many times. He's called lots of different things. But this this spirit, it's all the same spirits. One spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I'll kind of give you a little definition here. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God that interacts with humans. There's probably a more deeply theological definition than that, but this is just something really very uh, elementary for us to come in and say, okay, who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God who interacts with humans. And the first thing we see Jesus promise is that he will send us an advocate. I want to take just a second to talk about that word advocate because it's a word that I think as we get introduced to this guy, the Holy Spirit, we're really going to see that understanding the word advocate is going to be strong in helping us understand his role in our life. Uh, The Greek word for advocate is parakletos. Uh, You're all going to be Greek scholars after today easily. Um, Parakletos, and and here's the thing, we have it translated in our English version, the the new international version, which is the the one uh, that I was just reading from, says advocate. There's a lot of other words that could be translated as comforter is an interesting one. Um, in 1611, the King James Version of the Bible was, was translated, and uh, the word comforter was used in that translation, but it doesn't mean what we often associate it with. Uh, it didn't mean, back in 1611, what it means today. When you think comfort today, you might, we have a blanket called a comforter, right? So when you think comfort, many times we think warm fuzzies, we think like, you know, kind of cuddling up, and that is definitely something that the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, but this is really neat. Uh, the word parakletos, and when it was translated comforter in 1611, that word meant something more like a strength bringer, someone to fortify. In fact, the word comfort has the word fort in it, fortify, to bring strength. And so uh, that, isn't that what comfort does? If someone gives you a hug, what are they doing? They're bringing you kind of this protection, this strength. And that's a word that could be understood as like a title for the Holy Spirit, a comforter. Um, other words that Paracletus could be translated as helper, you know? And that also is that concept of bringing alongside someone to give you strength, to kind of uh, undergird what you're doing. There's another word there, encourager. Again, if you're being encouraged, that's that same idea. Bringing strength in, fortifying you, uh, a mediator, a counselor, someone just going to come in and kind of stand alongside you. We're going to use the word advocate because it's in the translation we're using today. And it's a good word. Uh, Advocate's a cool word because it carries with it kind of a legal connotation. An advocate is someone who stands in the gap for someone and uh, often speaks on their behalf or brings a defense for them. Uh, Again, bringing in that outside strength, bringing in the help. And Jesus says, I'm going to send to you a paraclete. I'm going to send to you an advocate, a comforter, a mediator, a helper, someone to come alongside you and bring you strength. And he says, you will know him because he lives in you and he works with you. You'll recognize him in your life. Our question this morning is, who is the Holy Spirit? And so what I want to do is kind of take some of the things that Jesus says here and a little bit later and also look through some other places in the Bible. And we're going to land on just a couple of key phrases that I think are going to give us a good idea of who the Holy Spirit is and how he interacts in our life. And the first one is something I've kind of alluded to a lot already. Jesus kind of indicates it in his uh, teaching as well. And this is basically, I'll just give it to you. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now that might seem like, duh, You're only thinking that because of the way I've just been talking about him. One of the biggest mistakes that Christians can make 
is to think of the Holy Spirit, and we sometimes talk of him this way, as an it. I'm praying to the Holy Spirit. I hope it guides me. I hope it gives me strength. And it, and well, and it is it's a pronoun. It is a pronoun, and it's how you refer to an inanimate object. This chair is an it, an it. It has no feelings. It has no capacity for planning for itself. It's just there. It's just to serve me. It's a tool. It's a thing I can use. It's an inanimate object. It's an it. It's just there until I come back and need it. It's just there. Uh, Christians often refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, and I just want to say, when we do it that way, we're treating the Holy Spirit like he's just this tool in a toolbox. It may be a powerful tool. I've got the circular saw. I've got the drill. I've got the Holy Spirit. You know, these are things I pull out when I need them, but let me just paint a picture for you. How would this work? Okay. Um, My wife, Lindsay, was up here singing just a minute ago. Did a great job. Not to mention how cute she was. Um, and she's standing here, they're singing though, and, but I love Lindsay. And, uh, but what if I brought her up here? And I'm, I'm talking about introducing you to people, right? I introduced you to my wife. This is Lindsay. Uh, man, I call it Lindsay. Uh, it's great. It is fantastic. I met it in college, actually. Uh, we met in high school, but in college, uh, we, we got really serious. And, and here's the thing. In college, it started doing my laundry for me. Guys, if you can find one that can do laundry for you, yeah, it's awesome, and it's great, though, because now we've been married 15 years. I've learned it can do so much more. Like, it cleans, it cooks. It, it had kids. Like, it's, okay, first of all, like, that wouldn't go, yeah, that's not going to go very well. My wife wouldn't have time to give me a dirty look before you could throw a shoe at me, right? And not to mention how chauvinistic and stupid that sounds. Uh, but no, I wouldn't talk about my wife that way. She's a person. And there's a difference between an it and a person because a person has the capacity to have relationship. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he can come into our lives and he can do things, yes, do things for us, but not because he's a tool in a, in a box of tools, but because he cares about us. And these things that we're talking about, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the whole list, those aren't just tools in a toolbox that we can pull out to use either. You know what would get me by right now? If I could love. Let's see, I need to love right now. And you pull out the love tool, and you just kind of employ that just to, why? To serve yourself. No, that's selfishness. That's walking in the flesh. That's not walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit, if he's a person, is to say, man, this love is, is part of facilitating the relationship between me and the Holy Spirit, and it overflows into the life that I'm living, and this joy and this peace and this patience is coming as, a, as an overflowing of this relationship with a person. Now, I don't want to like overstate this whole the Holy Spirit is a person thing, but I think it's important for us to realize that because sometimes, what if you had a person in your life that you just ignored? If you had someone living in your house that you never acknowledged and like they did stuff all the time. They have to take care of things, they did whatever, they had roles in the house, but you just, and it's so easy to go through our life with God and just treat the Holy Spirit like he's an it. He's not the Holy Spirit is a person. He's living and active in our lives. And here's the thing. This is what Jesus says. He said, I will send you an advocate. He will be with you. He will bring you strength. He will come live with you and through you. And this isn't like a, he, this is not about the pronoun being about gender, like he or she. This is about, this is a person, not just a tool, coming to our lives and impacting us. So since the Holy Spirit is a person, and Paul says we should keep in step with the Spirit. Now we have someone to follow. Okay, I want to step into the next little phrase here because not only is the Holy Spirit a person, this, the key thing, there's a lot of people, right, all throughout the Bible and the world. The second little lesson about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. 
Now that can get complicated, that can get convoluted, that can get confusing. So I want to take a second just to step back. We're going to get to John chapter 14 again and hear more from Jesus in just a second. But I want to talk about something that's often confusing, even to people who have been in the church for a long time. Um, I'll start by just saying this word, Trinity. You know the word, the concept of the Trinity? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a decent concept, it's a good concept. It's the idea that God exists in kind of three manifestations to us. There's God the Father, responsible for creation and kind of overseeing all of the universe. There's God, uh, the Son, and that's when God becomes flesh and dwells among us. We call that Jesus, God the Father, God the Son. And then there's God, the Holy Spirit. I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit interacting with humans. And so you've got this concept of there being a three part of God. Um, and I got to tell you, the, the Trinity is very biblically based. So I don't want to cause any confusion or doubt here. But the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Uh, it's, it, it was never used until about 300 years after Jesus went back to heaven. And so, uh, you know, it can be confusing when you say that out loud because you're like, wait a second, Trinity's not in the Bible. No, the Trinity is in the Bible. It's just that God never seems to feel the need to explain himself to us in that way. He never says, let me explain to you how my entity works. He doesn't do that. But to wrap our minds around who God is, we've developed this, this concept of the Trinity. It's, it's a really good concept. And it's something to help, help us understand who God is. Um, I'm not imposed to it entirely. I think it's, a, it's got its place. But I also think that it can cause some confusion because when we think about the Trinity, other religious factions have accused Christians of being uh, polytheists. That we have three gods. There's God the Father, there's God Jesus, there's God the Holy Spirit. That's not true. And so I want to definitively and without apology say this. There is one God. There is one God. That is the message through the entire Bible. There is one God. The concept of the Trinity is that God has the capacity to interact with us in different ways. That we can uh, know him in the way that we need to know him at the time we need to know him. But it's all one mind. One mind, one source of power. Three different manifestations of that. Um, Jesus had to prove that he was God in the flesh. He couldn't just say, hey, I'm God, because a lot of people have done that, and they're all dead still, except for the ones who are still saying they're God and just give it time. But Jesus said, I'm God. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to let you kill me. Then by my own power, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. He proved it through his miracles. He proved it by being the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies that have sat there for hundreds of years. There's lots of reasons that Jesus proved himself to us. The Holy Spirit uh, is also God, and the way he proves himself to us is, uh, one, through his connection with Jesus. Jesus validates him, and also through the things he does in the world and the things that we're seeing here and talking about the Holy Spirit through the Bible. But there's one God. Okay, I wanted to step over that. And our focus today is on the Holy Spirit. God's interaction with us. And how does that work and what does that look like? The Holy Spirit is God's spirit. The second verse of the Bible says that the spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Why? Well, because it's God. God it's just God's soul. Just like you have two manifestations of yourself, your soul and your physical self. You know, he says, look, I have, this is kind of my spirit. And he was there. We also see all through the Old Testament of the Bible that the Holy Spirit is the one empowering the people to do things. Uh, and, and when someone says the Spirit of God came on them and they were able to, for example, prophesy or do a miracle, these prophets that are all throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit's involved in that. Jesus validates this a couple places, but one is in Matthew 28, verse 19, his very last uh, instruction to his disciples and, and by connection to us, he says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is us. The Holy Spirit is even referred to as God in Acts chapter 5, other places too, but in Acts chapter 5, um, 
there's this, there's this passage here that says, Ananias, this is uh, Peter talking to this guy, Ananias, who made a big mistake. Ananias lied to the church. And this is the story in Acts 5. You should read it. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You've not lied to human beings, but to God. So Peter, the apostle who gets the church started, says, listen, the Holy Spirit and God, they're, they're equal. They're the same thing. Our main question today has been, who is the Holy Spirit? So I want to affirm that he's a person, but I want us to affirm that he is a divine person. He is God's representation to us, interacting with us in our lives. And not only that, uh, he comes in here and shows us that I can move in your life and cause things to happen for you that you couldn't do on your own. Why do we need him to do it that way? Well, as you look through the Bible, you see that there are many people who request a, like an audience with God. God, I want to see you. Have you ever thought that? You're like, man, I just wish I could just talk to God. We, we say this all the time, man, when I die, I, I got questions for God. Good luck with that, honestly, because uh, I don't think that you can handle it. When we see the people in the Bible who get a close interaction with God, Moses, for example, says, I want to see you. And God says, uh, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to hide you behind this rock. I'm going to pass by, and you can take a little glance at my back, but you don't want more than that. And after that, Moses was like, whoa. <laughs> and then after he spent lots of time just kind of hearing from God, Moses' faith begins to radiate, literally glow because of the holiness of God's presence in so close proximity to a human, so much so that Moses had to wear this veil over his face so that it wasn't like distracting to other people when he was trying to talk. The presence of God is big. If you fast forward a little bit longer into the, the, the Old Testament story, we find that God allows some of his presence to rest on this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was something in the temple. It's a long, long uh, story to really teach all of it, but here's the thing. God's presence was in this place, but the rules were don't touch the box. <laughs> don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. There's this one time where they had to move it, and the guy reached up to touch the box, really just to steady it. You know what happened to him? Who knows? He died. Not because God's such a bad guy, but he's like, oh, you're, you're touching my holiness. <laughs> you're not worthy. We see prophets like Ezekiel, Zechariah, Isaiah come into these moments and visions with God. And this isn't even the presence of God. This is just like symbolic stuff going on in their visions. And they're like so blown away by God's presence. They, I have no words. And so in all of this, we look at this and go, well, if we want a relationship with God, then how does that happen? If I can't even be in his presence, he says, well, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is a completely inadequate uh, metaphor, but I've found it helpful for me. So, it's, it's, you know, no metaphors are perfect. Uh, a kid gets a headache, gets a fever, small kid. If it was us, adults, we would go to the cabinet, we would get extra strength Tylenol pop a couple of those in, fever goes down, maybe headache goes away, pain stops. But for a child, you, you don't give them extra drink Tylenol. It's not healthy for them. I don't know why. I'm not a doctor. But you're not supposed to do that. Well, what do we have? Kids Tylenol. Same medicine, proper dose. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in our life. Same medicine, proper dose. Completely inadequate metaphor. <laughs> but at least gives us a picture of what it means to have the Holy Spirit moving within us. This awesome thing about God interacting with humans. And so back to Jesus in John chapter 14 now. Okay, look at verse 25. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Verse 25, Jesus says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, there's that title, Holy Spirit, the advocate whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to come into your life, and I'm going to move. Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, would it be fair to try to stand here and explain like God to you in like a half-hour sermon? No. So here's where I'm going to pause. <laughs> but understanding that the Holy Spirit is the divine person of God interacting with us is a huge step in knowing who he is and then letting him work. So the second half of what I want to give us is basically what does he do in our life? If God comes into our life and helps and moves in us, what does he do? I think we could probably uh, kind of divide um, all of the Christian experience into three broad categories. And so what I want to do is touch on all three of these categories. The cool thing is it should hit all of us in this room and give us some idea of who the Holy Spirit is in our life. It's cool uh, that uh, though my wife and I have been married 15 years and we dated for three or four years before that and we were even friends before that, uh, to know that Lindsay was in my life even before I knew it when I was about to break my neck on a, on a trampoline. Um, the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is he's involved in your life even if you don't know it. He's there. Why? Because God is here and he's everywhere and he's involved and he really wants our hearts to turn towards him. So the br three broad categories I'm going to give us are kind of before we choose to live for Jesus. I'm going to call that pre-conversion or before conversion. Then there's the second phase, which is kind of during conversion. This is where I'm like, okay, I'm convinced. I need to turn my life over to God. And that's, that, that's phases different lengths of time for different people. Some people take a long time to come over. Some people are like, boom, I'm in. And the third one is like, okay, after my conversion, I'm in, I'm trying to serve. The Holy Spirit has distinct roles in each one of these phases of our walk with God. And so I just want to kind of dive into those a little bit. For the first, for the person who maybe hasn't turned their life over to Jesus yet, that might be you here today. I'll let you know. This is a safe place for you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, but I got good news for you. I've got news for you. I hope you think it's good. The news is God's knocking on your heart, man. Lady. <laughs> He wants to be in your life. And so often, there are these things that happen in our life, and we're just like, whoa, what was that? Why do I feel like I need to go to church? Why do I feel like I need to make different? This is why. And the first one is this. In John 16, we're not going to read all these passages. You can jot them down. In John 16, 8 through 11, the first thing we see that the Holy Spirit does before we choose Christ is that he convicts us of our sin. You know, sin isn't fun to talk about, uh, but it is the thing that separates us from God. When we choose uh, to live apart from him and make our own choices, it's what separates us from God. It's what makes this world an, uh, a rough place to live. And so the Holy Spirit comes into our life, and it's when we have these moments in our, our life, and here's the thing, even if you are a Christian today, you've had these moments before you became a Christian or even now where you're like, this, just, this isn't right. I'm going to tell you something. That ain't Jiminy Cricket. You don't give a little whistle on that one if you're old enough to even get that reference. This is God saying, knock, 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 don't do that. Or knock, 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 do that. He convicts us of sin. I could go on, but here's another thing the Holy Spirit does for us. Even when we haven't turned our life to Jesus, uh, he's given us the Bible. He's given us scripture. I love this passage. There's several we could read, but 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, this is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Even before any of us chose to live for Jesus, God took this whole long process to prepare the world through the nation of Israel and through the writing down of Scripture. The Bible was written over the course of like over 1,500 years by over 40 authors on three different continents in three major languages. Most of the authors didn't know each other. 
Yet from cover to cover, there's one consistent message. If five of us said, hey guys, let's write a book together. You go to Asia, you go to Great Britain, you go to South Carolina, we'll spread all over the world. Let's just write. Let's write for 1,500 years and then we'll bring it all together. Do you think that our book would even closely resemble a consistent thought? No. The Bible exists in such consistently because it was guided by God's spirit. And he did that for you because God wants you to know him and he wants to know, he wants you to know that he loves you. Uh, that's another thing. The second, the third thing that God does for us, even when we haven't turned to God yet, is he draws you close. He draws people to Jesus. Uh, John 15, 26 says, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And that's that knock that you feel. It's the moment where you see someone else's life and you're like, man, I, I want that. Like, I want the God in my life that they have in their life. The Holy Spirit facilitates that. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But the Holy Spirit is active before we choose to turn to God. The second phase is during our conversion process. Like I said, it's this, this longer for some than others. It's shorter for some than others. But God doesn't just stop with bringing us close. He, he uses his Holy Spirit to start to transform us while we're making this decision. We're told that the Holy Spirit is a gift that's given to us at our baptism. This is really cool. There's a couple of places we could look at this, but Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says you should repent and be baptized. That's the kind of being dunked underneath water for the forgiveness of your sins, which is fantastic. That's really the reason most of us sign up. Like, ooh, I'm feeling guilty. Could you just wipe the slate clean? But also for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the one place in the scripture where I see the very clear statement to say, this is where you can absolutely receive the Holy Spirit. There are other times in the Bible where people have hands laid on by an apostle or the Holy Spirit just kind of comes into their life. But this is a promise like, man, if you, you get this gift. The second thing that happens to us during our conversion process is that the Holy Spirit comes to us and makes us spiritually renewed. You ever take an old dirty sponge and then you just wring it out with clean water? And then you can use it again. Our sins are forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice, but it's God coming into our life and massaging that spirit with his Holy Spirit that begins to rejuvenate us and make us usable again. Titus 3, 4 says this, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal, which by the way, I think the washing of rebirth has to do with the baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit that all happens in that whole conversion process. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Remember, it's all the same God doing this stuff. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit comes into us. While we're going through this transformation, it says, let me cleanse you. Let me rebuild you. Let me renew you. That's a lot. The third thing that steps in during our, trans, uh, our, our you know, conversion process, Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit facilitates our adoption into the family of God. Remember I said advocate's a legal term? The law is what made us aware of our separation from God. The Old Testament, Moses' law, all that, the Holy Spirit comes in and he facilitates, he negotiates this adoption into the family of God. It's amazing. That's the second phase. And so he's active in our lives before we choose Jesus. He's active in our lives while we're working through it. And he's active in our lives even more during the Christian life. Um, 
Jesus says that he's in us and he's with us. But to say that he's in us and he's with us, that doesn't end the conversation. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Life is hard. Sin is real. Temptations are strong. Questions and struggles that plague us, they're difficult to deal with. And God says, you don't have to do that on your own. My spirit's gonna come alongside you as a comforter, a strength bringer. There's so many different ways he works. I just wanna kind of give you a couple of them, kind of bulleted here. While we live the life, while we walk the walk, that's the goal of the series, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. We're told that he communicates our heart to God even when we can't find the words. He helps us pray. You don't think you're a good prayer? That's okay, just try. The Holy Spirit will step in and he'll translate to God what your heart really needs to say. We're told that he teaches us when we don't know the answers. I've experienced this more times than I can count. When I'm trying to help somebody and I don't even know the words to say and I just pray like, God, help me be here for this person. Suddenly I start saying things that I believe the Holy Spirit brings up into my mind. Not like that I'm making them up, but things I've heard before, things that I know from scripture, things that in the moment, just like, well, this just makes sense. He teaches us when we don't know the answers. We're told that he counsels us to help us find truth. We're told that he's given us special spiritual gifts that without him, we would not have the ability to do. Some people, once they become Christians, suddenly find the, the ability to, to teach or to, to comfort or to love in a way that they weren't able to. And then supernatural things. You know what the Bible teaches and that we've seen through the world is that God allows miraculous things to happen with his people. Like in conservative modern church, we're really skeptical of that because I think people have abused that. It's been on TV and weird things have happened. But look, healing and making people whole through the power of God's spirit, that's real. Not by my power, but by the power of God in my life and in your life. And all these things are promises that come to people who are in Jesus. And so too often, we're just like, man, life is so hard and I'm never gonna change. And someone's like, well, have you prayed? You're like, yeah, I prayed. And we'll memorize like two measly little scriptures. I'm like, I tried real hard. Did you? One of my mentors, uh, when I first really started my spiritual life, uh, is a a minister, a missionary in Africa. His name is Jeff Hostetter, and I've got to spend a lot of time being taught by him. One thing he said one time, I'll never forget, he said, God has given us atomic weapons and bombs to fight our spiritual battle, but we're content with using BB guns. He's given us his own power in our life, and we're like, eh, it's hard. I'm not downplaying the hardness. But what I want to upplay is our ability to tap into what God has given us and turn to the divine person of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us walk the walk. Can I introduce you to him today? Can we as a church rally around that idea and say, look, the Spirit of God is what guides his people. And it's what's going to help us shine light into the darkness of this city and shine light into the darkness of the corners of our own souls so that we can come to an understanding of who God is leading people to him through Jesus and ultimately giving him glory through our lives. Maybe, maybe this is new to you today. You never heard it. I'm glad you're here. And I would just encourage you, if you've got more questions, come ask me, ask one of our elders, ask somebody. If they don't know, that's great. Then y'all can both talk about it. Maybe you've known about the Holy Spirit, but you kind of forgot. Get reacquainted. Lean in, pray, and know that he's there as your comforter, your advocate, your mediator your helper. If you're in Christ, guys, I got to remind us of something. It is time to walk the walk, to keep in step with the Spirit. Let's read our passage again, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, hmm, the fruit of that guy is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit day by day. It's okay if it's a struggle at first. Day by day, get stronger and stronger. Let's lean on each other. Let's walk the walk. Let's pray. God, you are good. Thank you for coming among us, dwelling with us on earth as Jesus. But even Jesus said that you, he had to go so that the Spirit could come. And it's even better for the Spirit to be with us because he can be with every single one of us all day long. In your human form, you choose uh, to, to be in one place at one time. Um, and we're glad that you did that because it set the path straight for us. But man, your spirit is in us and works through us. If there's anyone in this room this morning uh, who needs you in their life, Lord, I pray that this will be the place where they'll, um, where they'll make that move, where they'll make that discovery, and where they'll start taking that walk. Thank you for knocking on our hearts even before we knew. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.